Welcome to another episode of the Looking After Nature podcast, where we hope to bring you closer to nature and wildlife in Hampshire. My name is Andy Davidson, and I'm here once again my co-host Carly Harrod. Hi Carly. Hi Andy. And what a lovely day it is today. It's actually one of the first, I mean you can actually feel the warmth of the sun. You definitely can, and yeah. it's making me feel so much like spring at the moment. Where are we today Andy? We're actually on the edge, on the downs on the edge of the Moon Valley. Um, we're not at a National Nature Reserve or anything like that, but that doesn't mean anything. We can still find some good stuff local to people around here. Definitely. And why have we come here today? We come to talk to Joe. Now, people might have heard her in some of our other podcasts that we've done, our mindfulness ones. But uh, So we come to talk to her and talk about the countryside around where she lives. Hi Joe. good to see you. Hi Andy, nice to see you too, nice to be out today. And it's nice to get out and it's actually quite a lovely day today, isn't it? It is, I it mean, is, the sun's trying to come through. Yeah, there was a sun, and there was actually genuine warmth in the sun as well, wasn't there? Showing that signs of spring are coming. Absolutely, and that's what we're concentrating on today. Um, so, I mean, you're, you work with the countryside, but you know, you're the, you were the head of service, you know, assistant director, so you're very much involved in the countryside service, aren't you? I am, I am. So yes, my role is Assistant Director Natural Environment and Recreation uh, and that includes uh, having responsibility for the Countryside Service along with Sir Harold Hillier Gardens, the rural estate, so all our county farms and also the outdoor centres as well. But you didn't, clearly didn't start out as Assistant Director, I mean you've been in the Countryside Service and the, that related field for quite a while haven't you? Yeah, I've been uh, Countryside Service and Hampshire County Council for 20 years, thereabouts, just over actually 20 years, so yeah, quite a long time. And um, when I joined, I was actually um, funded by Natural England mm. uh, to do a sort of pathfinder project for the government and hosted by Hampshire County Council all those years ago. So you're very much, in, I mean, you live in the countryside and clearly yeah. the countryside is very important to you, I know. Mm. Incredibly important, yeah. Um, I guess I was thinking, you know, when when I was younger, it was it was part of my being free. It was a way of um, being free and being allowed to be away from my family and and the built environment, if you like. And getting out meant that I could um, do all sorts of activities. So I was walking, cycling, horse riding. I did all that, and it, I think because the countryside offered me so much opportunity, I sort of grew in appreciation really for it and started to really look a bit more around me about what actually you know the countryside was made up of and those really important nature and habitats and the wildlife yeah. that we that we enjoy today yeah and people might have heard you on some of your mindfulness podcasts that you do as well so clearly the health and well-being benefits are very much of what you're interested in yeah absolutely so along with the sort of physical benefits of getting out and being active in the countryside you've also got that connection with nature um, and the ability to get away from the screen, you know, the fact that you are, it's very uncluttered and very simple. All you really need is a coat and a pair of boots and mm. and you can just, you know, spend a whole day outside. And we just basically just walked down the road from where you live and we found a little footpath. So it's not a, spe it's not a National Nature Reserve or, a, you know, Triple SI we're going to. This is the normal countryside around you where you live as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And on the way down during the spring, you see the sort of beautiful sunny petals of the lesser celandine coming mm. through um, and the violets on the side of the road of the lane as you come down and join the footpath. Yeah and I think a lot of people during lockdown particularly because they weren't able to travel very far have discovered their local environment and that's pretty much that's very much what we're looking at today actually 
Um, we're going to have a walk down the path up to, I think there's a bit of wood over there, and just see what we can see. Yeah, for sure. We've really seen an explosion in use of the countryside over the last year. Mm. And um, it's great that we've got such a huge rights away network in, in the county that means that people can get out really close to where they live mm. um, and get some uh, time outside in the, and enjoying our beautiful countryside. Yeah, so let's do that. So I've just seen a few field fair and redwing coming out of the field here. So do you know those birds? I do. I have heard them, but I'm, I, I'm not... I have to say I'm not particularly good at telling them apart because they tend to do they tend to flock together. Quite often sing together. They're some of the what we call winter thrushes because there's a very small number of some of them breed in Scotland, very small. But mm. most come down from Scandinavia and Iceland for the winter. Okay. So the filfare is uh, actually slightly bigger than the blackbird, um, but it's got um, a very dark tail and a grey rump, and it's got spots like you might imagine a thrush. Mm as on its breast, but it's also got this almost like a nicotine stain colour underneath, like an orangey buff colour. Uh, but they're quite large, and their call is chuck, 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 I'll do impressions as we go around. <laughs> <laughs> um, there we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's quite a few coming out there. They are very big thrushes. And then quite big flocks, because I think I've heard that noise, you know, there's yeah. quite a lot of them together. Yeah, absolutely. They can form good big flocks. There's, I think there's less around this year than normal, mm. but certainly there are some biggish flocks you can get. And they love these sort of fields or wet meadows, but they should. I mean, talking about signs of springs, one of the signs of spring is them leaving, clearly. <laughs> um, and the red wing, which comes along with them, they're very much smaller, about a song thrush size. Okay. And they've got a white stripe above the, he the eye. Um, and they're called red wings because underneath, not the armpit, wing pit, what are yeah. we calling it, um, is a red patch of feathers. Right. And they, their flight causes a seep, a high-pitched seep. If they're sitting around in the, in the trees, they just do a little chuck, chuck noise. And do they come into gardens at all? I think I've seen them in the garden because obviously we're close to home. Yeah. And I think we had, during a particularly snowy patch a couple of years ago, we had them in the garden feeding on some of the berries that were there. Is that, would that be right? Absolutely. I mean, snow does tend to drive a bit more into gardens because there's more food. Um, they don't, depends on what your garden's like. If you've got a mini apple orchard or a, something like that, then, then they'll come in for the fruit. Yeah, we do have a few apple trees, yeah. Yeah, so they're lovely. But to say they should be, so we're just coming into February now, um, so they should be starting to go next month, really. <laughs> but they're a lovely bird. And I think partly you do sort of, Talked to several people recently where they're still almost wishing away the winter because we've had enough of it by now, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think part of it is it's doing things like getting out and seeing some of the life that's there. It's not a dead zone winter, it's, it's other life is around really, and it's seeing it, which probably we'll hope to see some more today. I think, you know, that's one of the things that's uh, really special for me about the countryside is that it's always changing, you know, it's constantly yeah. changing. and. And it reminds us that um, whatever is going on for us at the time, that, that, that things will change. It doesn't last forever. So yeah. good or bad, you know, life is sort of impermanent and what goes on in life is impermanent. And uh, that's sort of part of that mindfulness is about not being too attached to things, to being more in the present moment and recognising that, yeah. that, that things change and that's, and that's fine too. Um, and so, like you say, there's always something to see if you stand still and just uh, listen and, and look for a while. And, this is, and I think, you know, that it is very easy, I know, particularly with, you know, the lockdown, to mm. sit at home mm. and just not go out. 
can't be bothered to put my socks and cold weather gear on, you know, um, or any, particularly with dark mornings and mm. dark evenings. But, you know, I think it's very important to get out. I think they're recommending getting out and getting a bit of daylight and things like that, 120 minutes a week. Okay. So it doesn't have to be that much, but there's, there is definite uh, health benefits, physical health benefits. Yes, vitamin D, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really important. And yeah, so now we're working at home a lot. What I do try now to get out for a little bit at lunchtime because, yeah. like you say, it's very dark in the morning and in the evening. Sometimes I get out in the evening, but actually to try and make time just 20 minutes or so away from the desk yeah. really important. And that, of course, I realise I'm very lucky to live you know, in yeah. the countryside as I do, so it makes it much quicker. But wherever you are, you know, there's always signs of uh, nature and wildlife around, isn't there? And even in quite urban areas, you've got green spaces mm. and things like that. And you can normally find at least a little bit of woodland or a little park. Um, and even if you're really not that keen on the countryside, you know, you still get benefits, mm. whether you like it or not. <laughs> so this, this woodland, so we're in this woodland now. As you said, is it like a plantation on what might have been an ancient woodland? Yeah, think? that's the thing, because do you know the definition of an ancient woodland? Uh, yes, a wood that's been in existence before 1600. Yes. So in my past early days of uh, working countryside, I actually was a woodland officer for ah, right, a local authority. So although it's a long time ago now, I, I do remember some, some bits of that. And I think my identification's a little bit ropey now, a little bit um, stale. But I try, uh, I try to, you know, learn and remind myself every, every, every yeah. year. Yeah. So, but hit, so so when there's ancient woodland indicator species which we might yeah. see in a minute and so on isn't yeah. there but in here so in this woodland you don't get a huge amount of undergrowth but you do get uh, this area here is full of wild garlic mm. and that's sort of slightly later in the spring sort of may time isn't yeah we just up outside there's a lovely big deer fence which somebody's put here to try and keep the deer out of the fields here and there's a sign of the deer being outside here isn't there <laughs> yeah, <it> is. <laughs> looking down here what we call deer slots Okay. So, you know, they're a bit like a cow or a pig. They've got two cleats, they're called, yep. like two yep. toes. Yeah. And you've got these little oval shapes where they're running up and down outside the fence. They're probably quite happy out here. <laughs> yeah. But that's certainly something you can't tend to see in the summer because you haven't got the mud to put them in. That's right, yes. Yeah. So it's great to see these signs. And actually, if you just walk up here, sec, you can see where the badgers have lifted... The oh yes, of the deer fence, and they're getting through, and you can see how smooth it is as they're sort of sliding themselves under the under the fence. Is there any actual badger hair on it at all? I can't see any. I can't. Get, often you can, can't you? Because they're quite coarse, and they're sort of tipped with. They're sort of brown. They're not as black as no. as as I thought they were. You know, when you see them, they're actually sort of brown, and and you can often see them caught in the bottom of the. Fence. Yeah, where they've gone underneath it and scraped under. Um, but actually, if you get, do get one, yeah. roll them between your fingers because yeah. they're not round. They're ah. slightly oval. Okay. And as long as your fingers aren't frozen, <laughs> yeah. you can almost feel like blub, 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 as it rotates yeah. like a little oval shape. So it's yeah. clearly not, well, they'll never keep the badges out anywhere. They'll dig under anything, won't they, really? Yeah. Mm. And they love the maize, don't they? They get in, in, uh, into the fields and they eat all the corn. Yeah. On the other side of this hedge, this is a permissive uh, bridleway, actually, that yeah. the farmers allowed people to use. It's just a fantastic resource. It goes all the way around this enormous field. Yeah. Um, and in there, there's 
it's full of skylarks, um, which I always associate with the warmer weather. Yeah. Um, even though I think they do they overwinter here now, skylarks. They do. They some some birds. I mean, clearly you know things like the field fairs come here in yeah. the winter, and a lot of our songbirds will disappear down to the south and France and uh, down to Africa. Like I know you do occasionally, Joe. Yeah. You go to Africa <laughs> quite a lot. Um, <laughs> um, but there are some birds that stick around. Yeah. And there's some that do very short level migration. Okay. So they might migrate down to the coast a bit. Right. And then hop back here again. You'll see a few skylarks. Um, and it's a bit like when we get into the woods as well. You won't hear much song, but it might, and it might be quite dead in there. We'll have to see what it's like when we get in there. But they've all clumped together into flocks for safety. Right. And that's essentially what these field fairs and red wings are doing. You know, it's quite a flock coming down from the hedge yeah, there. Yeah, there is. And it's like many eyes keep their eye open for the sparrowhawk. Um, okay. But when they come to breed, hmm. they want to disperse and defend their territory. They're, so they get a little stroppier with each other, so they won't really stand anybody else's presence around them. I see. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, fascinating. And being around to see that change, rather than just going out when it's hot and sunny and there's loads of birdsong. Hmm. It's trying to look and see when they start singing. Because you really notice the difference. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. We'll see what's singing, because now we're after... December and the days are lengthening. Yeah. Quite often that day lengthening is the trigger for these changes in behaviour. And all this twitter and tweeting is actually goldfinches. I can see them. Yeah, there's one there. Yeah. You know what a group of goldfinches is called? Uh, not a flock then. A charm. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? A charm <laughs> of goldfinches. We normally have, we sort of have them in threes around the garden, you know, they seem to go around in a little group of threes chattering away to each other. Possibly, yeah, I mean, because do you put bird feeders out? Yeah, we do. Yeah, so they'll come to your feeders. Yeah. Um, but actually, you might see only three or four or five at a time. Yeah. Um, but actually, I'm, a, I'm training to be a ringer again, but I remember ringing siskins, which are quite close related um, yeah. in my mum's garden. Um, and uh, you'd only see three or four at a time. Yeah. And one winter I ringed uh, 60. Ah, okay. So you only ever see three, but actually there are a lot yeah. more out there, yeah. They're doing a bit of a circuit, ah, you know, okay. so they'll come through. They don't. They won't hang around the bird food because the sparrows know where the bird food is as well. So uh, these are poplars here, and I assumed that they'd planted them as a sort of shelter belt for the orchards that were here once. Yeah, that would be true, yeah. They do plant these. They, they like a bit of shelter belt to keep the wind off. I mean, that makes a big difference in the spring, clearly, when they want uh, loads of bees on the orchard. Um, makes it a little bit warmer, gets out the cold a little bit. But they don't, uh, but it's not a usual thing to put in a hedgerow. Yeah. So if you've got an orchard, you don't normally like things like crab apple and uh, blackthorn, you didn't used to, because they felt it carried the same diseases that impact the orchard. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So in some places you find things like Italian alder, the things that you wouldn't normally find at all in a hedgerow. So it's sort of remnant. I know the orchards have mainly gone, mm -hmm. but it's a sign here that they did used to be here. That's if you, right. If you yeah. can read the land. Yeah. So we've been trying to look out for some flowers. I haven't seen many, but actually there's uh, there are actual flowers on this hazel here, which is one, actually one of the first to come out. I didn't know that hazels hazel had flowers. I know it's this thing. They're not traditional, clearly petal flowers and things like that that you might think of as flowers but you've got these catkins yeah do you know where catkin come from what the name the yeah. word catkin no i don't apparently it's middle dutch 
Yeah. And it comes from katakin, which means little cat or kitten. All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I think it put, looks like a little cat's tail hanging down. Ah. But these are just the male ones. These produce the pollen. Yeah. But it should have some female flowers on there. And I think Carly very nicely found one for us just now. Female. I have to put my glasses on for this. If we can find it. Sticking out from a little bud or something. Yes. There? That's the thing. Just you know, yeah. that. And it's like a little tiny. Oh, gosh, yeah. Looks like a little red firework sticking out. Sort of bright pink. Yeah. And that's the female bit. It's tiny. Pollen from this tree won't be able to pollinate itself. They'll be relying on the, the next door neighbour one. So the, the, oh. And they're wind pollinators. There's not a lot of insects out. No. So these all, all the pollen will come out of these and drift in the wind and then go on these little red bits and it will stick there and that will pollinate and that's where the nut will be. Ah. Uh, so. Wow. It's our first flower, isn't it? <laughs> first flower. So this is a proper bit of ancient woodland. Now yep. I know some people are coming here and think, yeah, because you were saying before about ancient woodland, it's, on, it's over 400 years old. But these trees don't look 400 years old, do they? No. But it's the continuity of the woodland, not the trees. So the yeah. trees have been cut down. And there's actually a bit of ash there. Huge stall, isn't it? Huge Massive. stall, yeah. And that's where somebody's cut it off, probably for the timber, and they'll naturally regrow again. Um, and it looks like from the size of those bits, the branches coming out, well, the trunks really, aren't they? Yeah. Coming out of it now. Hasn't been cut for a long time. 50 years, 60 mm. years maybe. But that big stall is about two metres wide. It is, yeah. So that's an old tree. It's just been... young growth on it, really. And so this, so this woodland is carpeted in bluebells yeah. in spring, and it's got uh, and dog's mercury and wooden enemies yeah. as well. Those little very delicate sort of pale flowers, aren't they? With yeah. the little purpley veins running through them, very beautiful. And they've sort of got their nodding heads that, that open up in the sun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite spots, actually. And sometimes I just go and sit and uh, just enjoy the surroundings and the smell as well it's that's quite a nice smell yeah bluebells when you smell them together they are quite you can you can smell i mean even driving past with the window down or like me with the top down you can smell when you drive past a good bluebell wood of the this waft of scent coming out of the trees yeah and there's actually a bit of butcher's broom over here i noticed oh, yeah. let's see if we can have a look at so, that so bluebells uh wooden enemies um dog's mercury are sort of ancient woodland indicator plants, is that right? That's right, yes. So they show this place has been here for centuries, mm. really. And although they flower, they don't propagate much by seed. They're sort of underground, yeah. the root system. The roots and the bulbs dividing. Mm. And um, although you occasionally get them in hedgerows, and that might be a sign actually they've cleared out the middle of the wood and left the edge of the wood as a hedgerow, um, but they're an indicator that, that that wood has been there for quite a while. To get that number built up and I've sometimes because if you've got an open field and wooden grows on it we call it secondary woodland yeah and I've actually been in, in Sussex I was in a wood on the edge of a, two blocks where the trees looked identical but one side had all the bluebells and everything else and the other side didn't and that was because that was formerly a field and things hadn't crept out into it yet sure yeah so we've got butcher's broom so it's butcher's broom an indicator 
ancient yeah, yeah. indicator as well. It's just down. Oh, it's got some berries on it as well. Oh. Yeah, so it's got little berries there at the moment. Again, birds love the berries, you know. Um, but this has got funny little, I say leaf-like bits on it. Mm. These flattened bits with the spikes on it, mm. they look like leaves. Mm, they do look like leaves. But they're not leaves. <laughs> they're flattened bits of stem. I don't oh, know why in evolutionary terms they got rid of their leaves and they've now got flattened bits of stem which look like leaves. I don't know. Um, and is it called butcher's broom because it was used yeah. as a broom in butcher shops? Well, for scrubbing the, you know, the blocks they cut all the meat on? Yeah. You know, that people now buy for their lovely country kitchens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they used to use bunches of this because they've got these little spines. They're quite sharp, aren't they? Yeah. To scrub the block and clean it. So oh. that's why it's butcher's broom. It's absolutely beautiful here, isn't it? You've got the sun streaming yeah. across the field, or the grass glinting, but there's these lovely shafts of light coming into the wood itself, isn't there? There is. So that's a bit of dog's mercury. There is. Not at its best this time no. of year. No, because it has like a fluorescence, is it, rather than a flower, doesn't it? it yeah, has like... they don't have much in the way of a flare. It's like a, it is a flower, but it hasn't got the big showy petals and things, and it's not as dominant and as lush it will be later in the year. But it's certainly still here. There's a lovely, you see that bramble leaf? Yes. With that track yes, on it. Yes, I see it, yes. That's either a fly or a moth they dig on that. And it's rather than being on the outside of the leaf, they're inside the leaf. Oh. And they burrow through and eat, get, grow as they eat. And you can see it's very thin on the edge. Yes. And when it gets fatter as you go in. I can see that. So that's where it ended up as a big caterpillar inside there. <laughs> well, not big. I mean, it's clearly not massive inside no. a leaf. Yeah, and you're saying that it's full of bluebells, but trouble this time of year, there's just nothing above ground, is no, there? No, nothing, no. And then later on here again, you get the wild garlic or the ramsons. Yeah. Um, that comes so after the bluebells are finished, I guess. Um, and, uh, and that's lovely. I mean, it absolutely, you know, you can smell it the minute you get to the edge of the woodland. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, actually, the flowers. Have you ever tried eating the flowers? Yes, I use them quite often. And they're peppery. They're not as garlicky as the no. leaves, but they're lovely tasting, aren't they? Yeah. There's a really good recipe for scones with uh, wild garlic and cheese <laughs> that I have made yeah. in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a little pile of feathers here. So clearly something's come to a sticky end. Uh, but it's a question of what did it? So clearly you've got a couple of predator options around here. I mean clearly badgers, but they don't tend to catch birds too much. There's foxes, uh, sparrowhawks, kestrels. Um, but looking at it, because the one difference with a fox mm. is that uh, particularly with, is there any wing feathers there at all? Can't see any. None. They tend to bite the feathers off rather than pluck them individually. Right. So you'll find all the the bases of the feathers, particularly the flight feathers, all cut off at the base, okay. where they sort of use their teeth on the side um, to bite them off or they move them. But this has been plucked feather by feather. So that's normally a sparrowhawk. So it looks like from grey, it looks like... Would have a, done that in a tree rather than on the ground? I think, because there's nothing, there's no feathers on these trunks and there stuff. There isn't. Sometimes they'll have a plucking post they go to all the time, particularly when, if they're nesting. The males do most of hunting to feed the chicks until they get to a certain size. So we'll have a regular place next to the nest. I say next to it, 50 meters up to, okay. you know, where he'll stop and pluck it and then pass it across the female or call her across to get it. 
um, and she'll feed the young. But I think this has been plucked on the ground where it's mm. been caught and then it's flown off with most of the body. So although we haven't seen a sparrow, it's one of these signs, isn't it, that sparrow are here. We have seen a kestrel. Yeah, we saw a kestrel, yes. And um, we saw a red kite. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Red kites are more and more regular these mm. days, aren't they? Yeah, they've, we didn't used to get them sort of down this far. You need to see them a bit further up um, further up the county. But yeah. um, we are seeing them more and more. But of course, they don't... They're mainly carrion. Do they mainly eat carrion rather than kill themselves? Is that right? Normally, I think they might take the odd sick rabbit. Right. They're not quite as predatory as a buzzard or a kestrel will be. Uh, yeah, so they do rely on carrying a lot, um, particularly, I mean, if you've got a pheasant shoot near you and when they're all turned out and whenever they release them, to, once they've grown them on, you quite often find loads of squashed pheasants all over the place and the, you know, that attracts the uh, kites in. Of course, then, of course, they're near the road and there's a chance they'll get they'll hit by a car as well. So, but they do love a bit of roadkill. So having said we can't see any bluebells, there's actually some tiny little green shoots poking up there. Carly's found these. Carly found these. I'll try and claim them themselves, but I think Carly, she's been spotting for us. Uh, so yeah, Carly's found these ones. Um, but they're pretty small at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. It's an amazing sign of things to come. And now, I, tell me about, the, this is the, so this is obviously a native bluebell, but you do sometimes get the sort of Spanish bluebells, don't you, that uh, people plant in their gardens. Is yeah. that right? And they're, they're a bit different in terms of where the, how the flowers are on the stem. Is that right? That's right, yeah, because if you look at a bluebell, uh, you know, a native bluebell I'm yeah. talking about here, they're a slightly deeper blue, more purpley blue. And all the, all the flowers, it, when the flower comes up, it arches over. I'm just doing hand signals here, which doesn't work well on podcasts, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> but they arch over, and all the flowers hang down on one side, and they all hang down. The Spanish bluebell, uh, which clearly is imported, um, that's more upright. It's slightly lighter blue, not as purple. And at least some of the flowers on the top will be sticking upwards. Um, and they do hybridise as well, which doesn't help matters either. It confuses things. Yes. But there can be a bit of an issue with, you know, well, bluebell's a bluebell. Why does it matter? But, you know, certainly the genetics of these are developed over time for our woodlands. And we've talked about that being like, they're an ancient woodland indicator species. Yeah. So you sort of, they therefore have a long, long history, don't they? Well, absolutely, yes, yes. And, it, you know, if the Spanish bluebell dominates, then it slowly drives out the genes of the, of the native ones. Um, and there's a similar case with something called... Do you know yellow archangel? I do, yes. It looks a bit like a nettle. Um, but like it's a dead got nettle. Like yeah. a dead nettle, but it's got yellow flowers. Yellow flowers, that's right. And that's another ancient woodland indicator. It's quite beautiful. It's quite a complex flower. It's very difficult to just describe, it, isn't it? But it's a bit yeah. like, if you know your garden plants, like a rosemary flower. Yes. You know, it's, it's not your typical... Yeah, if you ask a child to draw a, daisy a flower, or daisy, yeah. it's this petal sticking out. It's got quite a big structure to it. But they've got quite a beautiful, co complicated yellow flower. And if, again, if you know white dead nettles and red dead nettles, that same sort of flower. Well, there's a garden variety called variegated archangel. Right. And part of the problem is that people, you know, they might be clearing, you know, you've got quite a new house. You're probably tidying your garden up. And you think, well, I can just stick that over there. I know you won't, Joe. You're very well aware of this, but you think, well, it doesn't matter if a few bulbs or they might plant the daffodils out in the woods. But it becomes a problem because things like yellow archangel, the variegated form, becomes dominant and can smother huge areas. Oh. Um, 
and quite often the non-natives don't have the same amount of things that eat it, like right. the insects. There's so it no doesn't so it support so much wildlife, really. It doesn't support so much of our sort of insects and yeah, pollinators. And yeah, it's partly that, but there's also there's nothing that eats it, to control it. Ah, okay. Um, so it's one reason we don't like people planting odd things in odd little bits of wood and chuck. It just, oh, it doesn't matter if I dump my garden waste on the edge of that woodland, does it? You know. Um, that's a similar problem across the world because if you go to Australia in New South Wales one of the biggest problems they have out there of weeds is um, bramble <laughs> you know and there's acres and millions of acres of it which is there's nothing there to eat it and partly that was where you had um, naturalization societies mm. so you you know there was a aim I think in America that somebody wanted to get every species of bird that was named by Shakespeare in America <laughs> so they took Oh goldfinches and all sorts of things out there you know um and there was somebody th you know there was somebody who's head of the botanical society in new south wales thought it's not it's not rich enough in australia for us let's plant some brambles <laughs> i bet he's regretting that decision certainly the australian people are regretting it yes now i think we've just come to the edge of wood we're out looking across an open field but i think there's quite a special tree for you over there isn't there joe there is, Andy. So um, during lockdown, I decided that because I walked here most days, that I would start taking a photo of that tree. It's a big oak tree. Yeah. In the middle of the field, really, and it stands, you know, on its own. So it's quite easy to get a good photo of it. And so I took a photo every day. It was a way of making sure that I went out for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to try and mark the path where I was taking it from. So I took the same photo every time. And then. At the end of the year, you can look back and just see how it changes all through the seasons. Not only the tree itself, but also the field surrounding it as well. Yeah. So, so it's it not compulsive, a... obsessive at all. Not no. a nice project. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It was just a way of making sure that I that I got out for a walk um, and uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. And actually, the shape tells us a lot because it's an oak tree, but it's quite. A I mean, if you can imagine, you know, if you've got a bit of broccoli. Yes. It's a typical broccoli shape, isn't it? It is. So it's grown sideways as well as up. Yes. You know, so if you look at these oaks behind us, if you go in the middle of the wood, they've all grown upwards because they're all competing for the light yeah. and they're trying to get up there as quick as possible to beat the others. But that's clearly grown in an open field because yeah. it's had room to spread, you know, and uh, relax out. Yeah. Bit, you know? I like that. I like those sort of wood pastures where you have those sort of standard trees and yeah. in amongst the large fields. It's just... Uh, a very, very bucolic landscape, isn't it? It's beautiful, yeah. So our lovely spotter, our helper here, Carly, has again found a plant here again. These little kidney-shaped leaves. Mm. They're lesser celandine. Now, I don't think we can see, even see any buds on them yet. No. But this is one of the really early ones that come out. You know, it's really, for me, a sign of spring actually happening. And you get, like, uh, I say, if you... I was talking earlier about the... You know, Archangel not having a normal flower people draw. But this is typically a flower, like a daisy type flower with big oval petals. And they're really sort of bright yellow and yeah. really glossy as well, aren't they? they Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and they are... quite difficult to take a photo of them because you get so much light off them. You know, it's quite difficult to get a It can a be, photo. yeah, and it's nothing quite like seeing it with your eyes, you know, no, without right. anything in between you, you know. Quite right. Um, so I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, keep your eyes open. I always used to go, used to have, <laughs> when I was young, a long time ago, 
we used to walk every Sunday to my grandparents' house um, along these lanes. And granddad used to give a prize to the first child to find a primrose. So, you know, I don't think I'm going to give you a prize if you see one for me, Joe. But, okay. uh, you know, look out <laughs> for the first celandines. I will. Now, we're talking about some of the signs of spring. Clearly, birdsong is one of those. But we're in a bit of woodland here, and it's pretty quiet, isn't it? It is. That's mainly because, you know, you might come into a wood and think it's pretty dead because you can't hear much at all. And clearly, one of the signs of a spring or summer woodland is loads of birdsong. But what the birds have done here now, because they don't, guarding territories, that's what partly what the song's about, to feed their young from, is less important. So what they've done is they've all gathered together in a flock somewhere. Um, and you might suddenly, in a wood like this, suddenly you're alive with birds and there's mixed flocks with uh, great, great tits, cold tits, blue tits, uh, maybe the old woodpecker and nuthatch, all traveling around together through the wood, not stopping long, because they might get picked off by the nasty sparrows again. Um, and uh, it's many eyes looking out yeah. for danger. But then as the days lengthen, actually birds have got a special gland in their head. I think we all have to some extent, but it's very important for birds, which detect light levels. And as the, the day length increases, it starts putting out different hormones. And that starts triggering that want to set up a territory and start singing again. Um, so it won't be long? Won't be long, no. Before we start to hear them more. No, you will hear a few singing now. Yeah. And it's just, when it starts making a real difference after Christmas, when the days are really a bit more apparent length, yeah. they can time that against their internal body clocks and think, oh, I say think, this gland thinks for them. Yeah. And starts putting this message out to start singing. Because about the only thing that sings right through the winter is a robin. Oh, yeah. And that's partly because they're defending their same territory they need to feed through the winter. Now, we talked a bit today about mindfulness, but you use that quite a lot, don't you? I do, yes, I do. It really, it really helps me to sort of manage my stress levels <laughs> at work. Um, and also, I, uh, whilst in, in lockdown, we um, recorded a whole series of podcasts yeah. um, as part of this series, actually. So this is the Looking After Nature series, and, and my element of that was the Looking After You series. Mm. So there's uh, online, you can find, I did about 16 episodes um, of uh, mindfulness, really focusing on using nature and mm. and uh, as part of your mindfulness practice. So, like we said earlier, you don't really need to sit in a room and meditate or cross legs and have just sticks going. It's much more about getting out and, and actually being a bit more present in nature and getting the most out of your time outside. And think doing things like looking at plants or just yeah. listening to birds, that's that focus, isn't it? It's that switching everything else off and just yeah. thinking about one thing partly isn't it that's right it's about it's about being in the present moment mm. and it's not worrying about you know the work you've just left behind or what's going on back at home and it's not uh, thinking about the future mm. it's just really being in the here and now and and if you stand still with that experience then you really gain the most it sort of imprints itself in your in your brain so, yeah yeah um yeah it's really important it's really important for me in the way that um, I work in the way that I cope with the, the level of work that we're all doing at the moment. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, thanks, Joe. It's been a lovely afternoon. We've had fantastic sunshine, haven't we? And I've learnt so much today, Andy. And it's been quite nice to come and see the places that are special to you. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. So we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you soon. Right, bye.
Well, Andy, that was a fantastic walk we've just been on, wasn't it? Absolutely, and it shows how much you can see just on normal tracks around your house and little bits of woods and how important those are to people who live in this area. Yeah, and even though this is going to go out in February, when hopefully lots of signs of spring are actually around, we're recording this end of January and there's still some nice signs of spring around. Yeah, we just about saw the first of the celandines out, which is we fantastic, did. isn't it? Now, talking of celandines, do you want to hear my fun fact? I always have to be ready for your fun fact. So, there used to be a theory called the Doctrine of Signatures. Now, do you know what that is? I think I've heard of it, yes. Basically, it's the old thought that if you've got a plant or something that looks like a body part, you can use it to treat that affliction. Yes, so lesser celandines have lots of little knobbly bits all over their roots. So what do you think that was used to treat, Andy? Well, it could be any number of things, but I mean, is there an old name for it? The old name for it used to be pilewort. Yeah, so wort means anything that can be used for medicine, and mm -hmm. clearly pilewort suggests that it's used for hemorrhoid treatment. I think so, yes. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to recommend it to anybody or try no. it. I've looked it up and it's another name for it, it's Herald of Spring. And it certainly is the Herald of Spring because we've seen a couple of flowers out today which shows that spring is on the way. And here's a challenge for the people listening, is go and find your own Heralds of Spring. Yeah. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Looking After Nature. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, you can let us know by checking out our social media pages. And we'd really appreciate it if you rate and review our podcast on iTunes as this helps other people find us. For now, thanks again for listening. I'm Andy Davidson. And I'm Carly Harrod. See you next time.